This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. So, I have been wearing glasses since I was 21. I needed them before I was 21, but like anything else, I didn't realize it. I was having a hard time in college seeing what my professors were writing on the, on the board. And so after doing this a little bit, someone said, you need to go and check out the optician and see if you need glasses. I first resisted that. I didn't want to do that. I was doing fine. I was functioning. I was doing everything I needed to do. But eventually I said, okay. And I went to the doctors and he prescribed me some glasses. And it was absolutely amazing. I remember the first time I put on the glasses, I was like, whoa, I can't believe what I'd be missing. I mean, I remember looking up at a tree and going, Oh my goodness, that's what leaves look like from a distance. So I'm nearsighted, which means that I can see things close, but I can't see things far away. And unfortunately, now that I'm in the 50s, or actually just 50, uh, uh, that is also adjusting. I can see things far with my glasses, but things that are about arm's length away, I'm having a hard time seeing. So uh, if anyone has invented arm extenders that I can put on and just hold things over there, I'd appreciate it. It's actually kind of annoying. The doctor says, you see pretty well. We could do bifocals, but, you know, you can wait. I said, I'll wait. And said, what you need to do is just look under your glasses. So that's what I do. My kids are merciless on me because they'll be like, ha, ha, dad, look at you doing this, right? That's dad, ha, ha, ha. They think it's pretty funny. Um, this is an, I have to do this number a lot, right? You know, those of you can appreciate that on and off, on and off to be able to do things. The worst thing is being under the car, doing something mechanical. And so I've got my glasses on, I'm under, and I want to use the screwdriver to, to put in or tighten up a wrench. And I can't see the nut, I can't see the screw, so I have to pull my glasses off, put it in. It's annoying, but I'm surviving, and I don't want to sound like I'm whining first thing in the beginning of the year. Here's the thing. I am so grateful for corrective lenses. I'm so grateful for the gift of glasses because clear vision allows me to approach life with confidence. Being able to see things clearly means that I don't have to worry about stumbling or missing something that's ahead of me. Clear vision allows me the confidence to move forward. I think this is true not only for our physical eyes. I think it's also true for... Um, perhaps spiritual eyes, uh, faith eyes, uh, thinking about where we're going in the future because we are creatures who are living in time, which means that we, we, we can reflect on the past, but we can't change it. We're present now, but that present is always moving to the future. We are beings who are made to face the future. And if we have a clear vision of what the future is to be like, if we have a clear picture of where we want to be in the future, that gives us confidence, that gives us assurance, that allows us to feel like, okay, we're doing something significant because we're headed to somewhere that we can clearly see or at least we know we can see and we can move towards. And, of course, now we're at the beginning of the year and it's the beginning of a new decade. How many of you cannot believe it's already 2020? How many of you remember, like, we were all freaking out because of Y2K, and it just seemed like yesterday, right? Burying food in the backyard and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> it's 2020, and now I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm thinking about the future. I'm beginning to think about where am I going? 
I'm beginning to do what I usually do at this time of year, perhaps with more urgency as, a, as we start a new decade. I'm going to ask, okay, where am I going and, and, and where am I going to be? Because that's how we're orientated. Now, here's the thing about vision. God has blessed us with this gift. It's called the gift of imagination. It's the gift of dreaming. It's the gift of visioning. He's given us the ability to have to be able to, to think of ourselves different from our present, to, to learn from our experience in the past, and to think about, hey, you know what? I would like to be here. I'd like to see my world different in this way and to work towards that. And God has blessed us with the ability to have, be able to change things, to be able to, to make things different for us. And of course, that ability is a little limited, Right? Because there's certain things we can and can't do. And so as we're thinking, as we're talking, I want you to ask the question, now that, that we're, we're talking about vision, what is my vision for 2020? Do you have one? <laughs> I appreciate the honesty. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people here that agree with you. But here's the thing. <laughs> Baby will get paid later. Here's the thing about vision. We have a vision one way or the other. Either we are make, shaping our vision or our vision is being shaped for us. But bottom line is we're all moving towards the future. And is it a future you want to go towards? Is it a future that you want to be part of? If you play the tape of your day-to-day -day life, is it adding up to a place you want to be? What is my vision for 2020? I hope you're thinking about that. I hope you are investigating that. I hope you're prayerfully considering that. Because a life without a goal, a life without a vision is a life wasted, to be honest. Now, here's the thing about personal vision. Here's the thing about it. You might be able to develop a personal vision, but you understand that personal vision has limitations. Okay, so I might have a, a vision to be able to dunk a basketball. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Jay, you're feeling me, <laughs> right? I might have a personal vision to dunk a basketball. I might think that's what, that's what I need to do in 2020, but let's be honest. I could diet, I could lose weight, I could train, I could develop all the skills I need to increase my vertical. But the problem is, is that I'm 50 years old, I'm five foot eight, and I have small little hands that I can't even palm a, palm a basketball. My personal vision is always going to be subject to a grand vision, to something bigger. My personal vision, your personal vision, is always going to be subject to a grand vision, a bigger vision. You might want to start a business. You might have a vision of something to do in the world that is going gonna, is gonna to be the perfect business that you're going to do. But understand that your vision for a business personally is subject to the greater vision of the national economy, the environment that you're in, the location that you're in, the, the market forces that are all about. You might have the best business idea in the world, but if the market doesn't sustain it, if the, the vision of, that's greater doesn't allow it, you're going to have a hard time fulfilling that. You might have a, a vision of a great marriage. You might want to be the best husband, the best wife you could ever be. You might have that vision, but understand that that vision is subject 
to a greater vision, to cooperation with you from your spouse because it's a matter of two. A, a joint commitment to how to live and how to deal with money and how to rear children and uh, what it looks like to show love. I often tell young couples, look, marriage is this. Marriage is the decision of two people to make a commitment to face life in the same direction. Your personal visions are going to have to uh, commit to a greater vision. And you two need to come together and figure out what is that greater vision. Talk about how we're part of something bigger than ourselves because that's what we both need to commit to because marriage is two people facing life in the same direction, committed to a grander vision than themselves. See, personal vision always fits under greater vision. And so we come to the church. And we believe that the church is being given a vision. That vision is from God. We teach what the Bible shares, that God is the initiator of the church, that the work of God in this world is carried out through the church. And if you are a member, a participant, a part of the church, if you are an individual that says, I am a Jesus follower, I am a Christian, and I am part of a local congregation, specifically if you're saying Mount Carmel Christian Church is my church home, then understand that you have made a commitment to be part of a greater vision. Your life is not your own. Your body is not your own. Your future is not your own. You have been bought with a price, the Bible says. And therefore, it's important to understand that if you're going to be part of the church, that your personal vision has to come under a greater vision. And the question then becomes then, what is that greater vision? Now, just take a little step back. Let me make a commentary of what I see right now in the world regarding the church. Research shows that we are living in a society that means your neighbors that is increasingly indifferent to what we have to say as the church of Jesus Christ. They're not hostile anymore. They're just indifferent. They don't care. What do you mean, Didi? Well, more and more research shows that whenever your neighbors, folks that you live around, our society fills out surveys that says, mark down religious affiliation. More and more of them are writing none, N-O-N-E. I have no religious affiliation. And that number is increasing the younger you become. How is it that we live in a society where more and more of our neighbors, more and more of the people we go to work with, more and more of our friends, more and more of our families basically say, I don't care about God and I don't care about Jesus and the God you talk about. Yes, they're spiritual, but when it comes to church, we don't care. We're indifferent. I'm a nun. How does that happen? How is it that we live in a society that some are saying is post-Christian, that believes Christianity is come and gone, is irrelevant, has no bearing on my life, has nothing to offer, has nothing to say, no truth to provide that I can live by? How is it that we come to a place in which most people 
in the middle between fully committed and, and fully secular. Most people in, this, in the middle lean towards the secular. If they're going to make a decision, they're not going to make a decision towards Christianity and the values that we teach. No, they're going to make a decision towards secularism, towards a life without God. How is it that we've come to that place? Particularly in light of what the Bible says about the church. It's the movement of God. The, the, the gates of hell shall not prevail over the work of the church, Jesus said. But here we are, when we see like it seems like the church is becoming ineffective in affecting our society. And while our church may be growing, while we see more people coming here, the truth is, is that less and less of your neighbors are driving to church when you're driving to church. Why? Because they don't care. Yeah. How is that? Well, I believe it's because we have lost sight of our vision. We have connected our personal vision as individuals and then collectively as a church to a vision that is outside of what God said his church is to be about. And when we do that, what we do is we disconnect from the power source to bring about life change in our communities. We disconnect from the movement of the Spirit. See, when we make church and the vision and the purpose of the church about things that have nothing to do with God, what God called the church, when we make church about our personal preferences and about the kind of people we like to have here and about the things that we value and that make us feel good and comfortable and that facilitate the holy huddle so that we can feel safe from the big bad world, when we make church outside of what God has called us to be, par, be a, as a church, then we unplug the power of the Spirit working through us. And so it's vitally important to ask ourselves if we're going to face 2020 as a church and if we're going to ask the question, what is our personal mission that we can connect with the greater vision of God? Then we get back to the basics and ask, what is the vision that God has for the church? And Jesus lays it out pretty plainly for us, recorded in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said, it says this, then Jesus came to them, and the them there is the apostles. This is a time in which Jesus has risen from the dead. He has revealed himself in as a physical risen from the dead person. He has shown himself to, to many who will serve as witnesses to carry the message. And he has, comes to them on a hill that he had said, meet me there on this day. He came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus lays out what's called the Great Commission. We can just say it's the great mission. And the mission of the church has to do with fulfilling a vision. Mission fulfills vision. That's how it works, right? So you ask, okay, based upon that description of our mission, what is the vision that Jesus lays out for his church? What is the vision? Well, the vision is simple. God wants to work through the church to bring every person the church comes into contact. And when I say church, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about you, the individual members of the church. Everyone who comes into contact wants to provide them an opportunity to become Jesus followers. 
wants the church to reach every person she can with the message of hope that God has made a way for us to be right with him through faith in Jesus. By grace, through faith, at baptism, immersion, so that you might live for God. And the strategy is laid out there. He says, first of all, understand that this is not a passive thing. This is not a come and see us if you're interested thing. We've got the best show in town kind of thing. No, this is a go thing. You go. You go. Go to all peoples. There's no prejudice. There's no, uh, you know, you in and you're not in. You're, you're my kind of people and you're not my kind of No, go to all nations. And do what? Go to all nations, he says, and baptize them, immerse them. This picture of a baptism here is really a picture that captures a faith response of an individual that has received Jesus's, the message of Jesus. Go to all individuals, share with them the good news that you've received, that you have been made right with God through faith in Christ. Share with them that and bring them to a place where they too say, yes, I believe and I accept Jesus as my forgiver and I accept him as my leader for life. Go to all nations, go, go to all people, bring them to faith, immerse them, baptize them. And he says, and then don't just leave them there in the waters of baptism to fend for themselves. No, make the investment. If you've brought them to the waters of baptism, make the investment in them to teach them how to live by my teachings. How do we do that? We, we teach what's captured for us in Scripture. And we ourselves become Bible to those whom we are discipling. We show them what it means to live for Jesus in the world so that they too might learn to be Jesus followers just as we are Jesus followers so that they too then can make Jesus followers as well. And then Jesus says this, and this is something that perhaps uh, many times is missed in these kind of conversations about the Great Commission, but he says this. He says, and I am with you to the very end of the age. What does that mean? That means this is not our work. That means this is God's invitation for us to join him in this great vision of bringing all people to know Jesus and this is his work that practically is facilitated by his spirit, the Holy Spirit, who works amongst us, who empowers us, who equips us, who trains us, who en enthuses us and encourages us and provides all that we need to be able to see the fulfillment of the mission so that we might see the fruition of the vision. They may like say, well, Didi, that, that's, that's awesome, but hey, what about all those people that didn't hear the message of Jesus? You know, they, they were born afterwards, or, you know, Jesus, you know, came in the year, you know, zero BC, whatever it was, year, and, and now it's 2000. There was a lot of people in the world that didn't hear about Jesus. You know, a lot of times people spend so much worrying about what is not their responsibility that they forget that their responsibility is to do what God has called them to do. We will let God take care of those individuals that did not hear the message of Jesus, we, that, that's God's domain to deal with in his mercy and his grace. Our job is to be faithful to what he's called us to do. 
the vision, the mission. You see, very simply put, God's mission for Jesus followers, and if you're a Jesus follower, this is you. God's mission for Jesus followers is for them to make Jesus followers. God's mission in order to fulfill the vision is for Jesus followers to make Jesus followers. Jesus followers to make Jesus followers. And when we do that, the promise is, is that God is with us by his spirit. And guess what? Then the gates of Hades will not prevail. We will see the life change that God promises. We will see the transformation in our communities that we anticipate because of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus followers committing themselves to make Jesus followers. So every year, I now make it a practice to work through the principles of this book. Some of you have shared this before from this stage. One word that will change your life, small little book. These are guys that are involved with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Basically, it's a process that involves three steps. A process to determine one word that captures your focus for the year. It's like developing a personal mission statement, developing a, you know, something that you want to work towards for that year. And, and you're to, to have one word per year. A lot of people like to say, well, I didn't do so well this year. I need to come up with another word. I use the same word. Well, according to the real way you're supposed to do it, you have a new word every year. And so the process is this. First of all, you spend some time being quiet and just and listening to prayerfully find a quiet space, find a time in which you can just be, be still and listen and open up your heart and open up your mind to consider what is that God is calling you for the year. What is your one word? After you spend some time in that, the next step is, is, is like look up. It's to pray. It's to seek God's guidance, to pour yourself into his word and, and to see is there a word that pops up? Is there something that rises up? And, and, and usually every time I've done this, this is how it works. And then the third step is to speak out. It's to communicate to others who will hold you accountable what your word is. It's to put your word in front of you. It's to be reminded of your word and to make a commitment to have that word be your, your north star, to be your guiding light towards what you will do that year. And so for the first year I did it in 2017, my word was cheerleader. Cheerleader. And it wasn't like, you know, cheerleader, hey, you know, those guys. No, it was cheerleader in the sense that they captured my, my goal to be an encourager, to invest myself in the lives of those that I was connected to, to lift them up, to bring cheer to their life. My second word, 2018, was shepherd. At that time, I was really convicted by, by the, the concept of the good shepherd found in Scripture, the development, the idea that the Bible teaches that leadership in the church is captured by the picture of the shepherd, of the Middle Eastern shepherd who is willing to lay down his life for the sheep, who leads from the front because the sheep know his voice and trust in him, who's willing to, to leave the 99 to find the one lost, who's willing to be able to protect the sheep from evil and to correct the sheep and take care of the sheep. That's the picture of leadership for the, for the leader in the church. And so I felt a calling to really invest myself personally in, in growing as a leader. 
as a shepherd and to do what I could to encourage those who are in leadership around me to give themselves to being shepherds in the church. Last year, my, my, my word was small, and the word really was, was built out of a commitment to say God was calling me to, to focus on the small things of my life, to recognize that while we are want to see the big, really the big doesn't happen without the small, and that life change happens in the small. I came up with a saying, go small, go strong, go slow. Invest in relationships, one with three Invest in those conversations where you made focus and really pour into to those folks in a strong way and realize that that investment is a relational thing, so it takes time to develop. And, and that process has just been, been fantastic. I've seen so much fruit in those investments that I've made with the relationships that I've gone small with and the habits personally that, that are small, that, that add up over time to make life change. To go small, has, I've seen major transformation happening with that. 2020, my word this year is execute. And I don't mean like Marie Antoinette guillotine. <laughs> Although I told my staff that was the word, and they were like, oh, okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> execute. And by execute, what I mean is this is the year I feel God calling me to do what I say I'm going to do, which makes me, first of all, evaluate my commitment. If I'm going to commit to something, I better be willing to see it to the end. Execute. Get it done. No more paralysis by analysis. No more, uh, no more thinking and dreaming and talking and, and whiteboarding and, and, and theorizing. No, this is the year to, to get things done personally, relationship-wise. This is the year to get things done in terms of leadership within the church. Execute. Move forward. Yet, here's the thing. My word, my one word, execute, I've come to realize based on, on what I, in preparing for this message, if my one word is subject to a greater vision, and that greater vision is captured in Matthew 28, it's important for me to spend some time to invest in the work of asking the question, how does execute fit into the calling for me as a Jesus follower, to make Jesus followers. And this is something I want to encourage every one of you. If you are a Jesus follower and you're developing some kind of personal vision, if you're looking forward to the year, if you have a goal that you're setting for yourself at this beginning of 2020, it's important for you to understand that, that you do not belong to yourself and you're called to a greater vision. And first of all, ask yourself, what greater vision have I tied myself to? Jesus warns against that. He said, hey, realize, you know, <laughs> you might gain the world, but if you lose your soul, what is that all about? He's pointing to the fact that you might, you might gain all the wealth you want, but if you don't have a greater vision beyond that, then that's an end of itself, and you're going to end up disappointed, empty, with nothing. So it's important to ask yourself, is my life connected to the greater vision that God has called me as a member of his church to be part of? I'm called to be a Jesus follower, making Jesus follow. How does my personal vision, how does my personal calling, how does that fit into that? Where's the connection point? How does it, how does it work together? How does my one word fit under the greater vision of being a Jesus follower? 
And so personally, I've been asking myself the question, how does execute fit under this calling by Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I've commanded you, and I am with you to always to the ends of the age. What does that look like? And in my thinking, I've been thinking, okay, well, then that means I have to figure out who are those that I'm called to disciple? Who are those that I'm called to invest in to become Jesus followers? Who? In wrestling with this, I'm thankful for a lesson that I believe uh, God gave me through my little dog, Zeke. This is a picture of Zeke. He is so cute, isn't he? Man, I love that dog. My wife, you know, when we first got Zeke, I didn't want him. It's a typical dad thing, right? I think there's a story out there. Most dads don't want the dog at first, and then the dog becomes dad's. Well, Zeke's my dog. And, uh, well, I'm his favorite bacon. <laughs> I like that. I get paid for this, dude. Anyway. Uh, So Zeke follows me around the house. He loves to sit on me and just look at me. Uh, he imitates what I do. He's very mindful of me, very aware of me. Um, I just came back from a mission trip to Dominican Republic, and uh, I got really sick on, well, I was sick there, and I came back, thought I was doing better, but I was really sick on Thursday. It's all right. I'm not contagious. I've taken the meds. I'm all good. But anyway, I was really sick Thursday, and I was on the couch, wiped out. Shannon had kept the dog upstairs away from me, but he escaped and uh, snuck in and was sleeping right on top, top of my pillow, just was watching, because he was worried about me, because that's just Zeke. Um, he's a great dog, and he watches me constantly. He watches me constantly. He'll sit on my chest and be looking at me, and I'll close my eyes like this, and he'll do the same thing. He'll imitate me, close my eyes. We have a game. I'll look at him, and I'll say, hey, Zeke, tsch! pretend to sneeze, and he'll go, ar, 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 and then he'll start sneezing himself. <laughs> He's a smart dog. He's a smart dog. What Zeke reminds me is, is that someone is watching me all the time, and there's someone uh, far more important than him, a number of someones that are watching me all the time. There are people who are watching me, how I live, how I operate, how I respond, how I'm consistent in my faith. There are people whose names are constantly on my tongue that I constantly repeat day after day as I talk to them and as I pray for them. My wife, my kids, members of my staff, guys that are part of my uh, discipleship groups, individuals that I meet, their names are constantly being spoken by me in day-to-day -day life. And guess what? They're the ones that are God's assignment to me to make Jesus followers. You see, Zeke reminds me that someone's watching me and someone's watching you. Someone is looking to you as to be an example of how to live. Someone is listening to your words for advice. Someone is expecting you to, to give counsel regarding how to deal with day-to-day. -day. Someone is watching you on how you live for Jesus and looking for you to provide the cues and the directives of what it looks like to be a Jesus follower in this world. And it's important to understand that if someone is watching you, that you take on the responsibility, the assignment from God 
to do what God has called you to do, to invest in them, to help them learn to be a Jesus follower. They may be someone in your family that doesn't know Christ, a friend at work that doesn't know Jesus, that you might have the opportunity now to share with them the good news of Jesus, to go to them, not to be passive, but to go to them in a way that's honorable, that, that, that works, to go to them and, and share with them the good news so that they too might have the life that you're experiencing. Someone's watching you to lead them in matters of faith. If you're a parent, they are your children. And that responsibility is, is not someone else's. It is yours. No matter what their age, really. If you're a grandparent, they are your children and grandparent, grandchildren. We all have people that God has assigned to us for us to fulfill the mission of Jesus followers making Jesus followers. The question is, is, will you align your life with that vision? You know, we talk about the work of the church, and I hear a lot of conversation these days, a lot of people requesting prayers for the state of our nation deep concern about how things are turning out to be in our neighborhoods. When we watch the news, it's not good news. We talk to our co-workers, it's not good news. So much ugliness, so much nastiness, so much like death, and you're like, Ugh, I just don't want to deal with it. Well, guess what? God has called us to be light in these dark places, and the darker the dark, the lighter the light. But we are the light carriers, and we've got to go We've got to be there, and we've got to take it upon ourselves to understand that our personal vision, our personal mission, our personal word has to align with this greater vision that God has given us for us to be part of his mission, for Jesus followers to make Jesus followers. This 2020, I'm going to ask that you spend some time asking yourself, how is it that I can be a Jesus follower who's making Jesus followers. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. I have the right to say this, is what he said. And what I want you to do is I want you to go to all nations, to every person. There's no, no prejudice allowed, no screening, no yes and no, no. Go to all nations and bring to them the good news of Jesus, baptize them, immerse them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bring them to a place of faith, and teach them everything that I've commanded you, and I am with you. This is my work. I am with you to the end of the age. What would happen? What could happen? What more can happen if we as a church at Mount Carmel Christian Church Every single one of us who say, this is my church family, decided to align our personal visions to this vision of God as, we, as was intended. If we became the church, as described in the New Testament, what would happen to our communities, to our schools, to our families, to our friends? What would happen? Let your imagination run with that. Let's stand. I'm going to ask 
Alan and Chris. Alan's one of our elders. He's up here. Here he comes. Chris Van Hus, uh, missions minister. These two guys are available to pray with you in person if you would like to pray on an issue right here and now. If you'd like to talk to them about your next step of faith, we've already had, you saw two baptisms. One was a response from the first service. So these guys are prepped and ready to go. If you want to talk to them about next step of faith, uh, please feel free to come down and, and, and talk to them. They're really good guys and uh, we'll guide you where you need to be. Let's pray and from this time we'll be dismissed. Lord, thanks for this time together. Thanks for uh, your word. Thanks for speaking to us. Lord, uh, as the song says, be thou my vision. Help us to submit our personal visions to the greater vision of a life in harmony with your will and your word. Help us, Lord, to be mindful of the fact that many times we have the tendency to do unattach uh, what we want from what we're called to do as Jesus followers. And I pray that you would give us a clear picture of what we're called to do in making Jesus followers this next year and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.